book of Mark, we are reminded of, uh, of who Jesus is. We're reminded that Jesus isn't always as we would expect him to be. You know, I, I titled my message this morning, What Day Is It? And, and uh, part of that was because, you know, there's sometimes in life that I think we need to be reminded, what day is it? You know, anybody ever have those where uh, you're, uh, I like to say, uh, someone asks how it goes, and I'll say something, I had a long month this week, you know, uh, or a long week today, uh, you know, where it just like, it doesn't ever stop, and you're not even sure what day it is. And there's a portion when that happens, but also as we read here in Mark 2 and 3, I think we're supposed to ask the question to some extent, what day is it? Because Jesus is doing something that, that you want to go, wait a minute, Jesus, do you really know what day it is? Do you really understand what you are doing? Because it's almost like, now I don't think he is necessarily, but I think he, obviously he knows what he's doing, but it's almost like he's picking a fight. Because it's like he forgot what day it is. And he, he's proving his point. And, and we got to remember that the gospel of Mark exists to help us be faithful. The question the readers of the gospel of Mark was doing is, who is Jesus and how is that going to help me persevere on? And isn't that a question we need to answer in our own world? Who is Jesus? And as a Jesus follower, how is it, how is who he is going to help me persevere on? And, and there's something about what we're going to hopefully interact with this morning. In verses, you know, 18 through Mark chapter 3, verse 6, that reminds us of who Jesus is. And why, because of who Jesus is, you and I can persevere on today and tomorrow and the next day. Because life isn't always roses. It's thorny. And sometimes we create our own thorns. Sin and the like. And sometimes life is just thorny. Where all of a sudden, whatever you thought was going to happen gets turned upside down and you're not even sure what day it is. And here is the gospel, Mark, that I believe will remind us of who Jesus is and why that is important and we read in these uh, verses here that there's a group of people trying to understand who Jesus is. These are people who, in a lot of regards, had good motives, had good, had good hearts, according to the world's standards. They, they were trying to figure out and pigeonhole, who is this Jesus? Is he the one that Mark says in chapter 1, verse 18? The time that he is, Mark chapter 1, I'm sorry, verse uh, 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus the Messiah. He is the Messiah, but who, what would the Messiah do and how would he act? 
It's a question you and I, as if we're Jesus followers, may do is, well, how, how can I see Jesus? Where is Jesus? And what does that look like? Well, we read here, and I think 18 through 22 just give us this point that Jesus came to do, quote-unquote, new things. There's something about who Jesus is that is not going to fit in to the old pattern of things, not because the old pattern of things was wrong. In fact, even in the, uh, what comes as far as the Sabbath, Jesus isn't saying the idea of the Sabbath is wrong. He's saying their expectation of what the Sabbath looks like is wrong. Their traditions got in the way of seeing who Jesus is. And Jesus says, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. Uh, on Sunday nights, uh, we've watched The Chosen. And was it this past week? Uh, where they talked about wineskins, Logan, do you remember? It must have been the week before. All right, you actually remember? See, I love it, you know? We're watching it, and they talk about this in, the, in season three. They talk about how you don't put new wine in old wineskins because everybody in that day and age knew what would happen. It would break, okay? And then you, 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 you miss both, okay? You, you ain't got wineskins, and you ain't got wine, all right? That's a, in those days and age, that was a big deal. And Jesus is saying that, that what he is coming to do is there's a newness about him. He's not going to be able to be put in a box and figured out. And this comes on into this next thing, but I want us just maybe to stop for a minute and ask this question that I think colors what is going on in, in Mark chapter 2, 23 through Mark's 3, verse 6, and it's this question, what separates Jesus' followers from other people? What will separate those of us who claim Jesus as King and Lord from others? See, because partially cloaked in this whole idea of the Sabbath is not just what Jesus does or doesn't do. And it's not just that the Pharisees were legalistic and had their thumb on the people and didn't want the people to experience life. That may have been the case, but that's too simple of an answer. Because the Sabbath for the Jew in first century was one of those signs, was one of those things that, distinct them, that made a distinction between themselves and everyone else. In a changing world, in a world that wasn't the way the nation of Israel thought it was supposed to be, in a world where they're trying to figure out how do we show we are the people of God, there were two things that became the hallmark examples and that was circumcision and Sabbath-keeping. See, this wasn't just uh, they were trying to come up with willy-nilly laws uh, about how to uh, live out life. It was, it was a discussion to some extent of what does it mean to be a Jew. In fact, the criticism of Jews in the, against Christians in the first century church was this. You don't look anything different than the rest of the world around you. You don't have holy days. 
Neither does the rest of the world. You don't participate maybe in circumcision. Neither does the rest of the world. You don't have a Sabbath. Neither does the rest of the world. What makes you different, church? And the Jew would say, we know what makes us different. We are circumcised on the eighth day and we keep Saturday as the Sabbath. Do you see that this isn't just this isn't just what can you do or not do on the Sabbath? This was what does it mean to be the people of God? What does it mean to be the people of God? And this is, I think, what Jesus, what I think, at least this week as I've tried to think through this, is this is what Mark is trying to ask his followers in us today. What will separate us? What does it mean to be the followers of Jesus? And how is that different than the rest of the world? It's not about whether you keep the Sabbath or not. The early church said what made them different was there was going to be this gathering on a Sunday where they would come to worship. Now, in the ancient world, you want to know what everybody else did on Sundays? They worked. Okay? There was no thing as called blue laws. Some of you, some of you have lived in those days when you remember when uh, what happened on Sunday in our world. Nothing happened in our world on Sundays. Everything was shut down. We don't live in that world anymore. And if we're not careful, we can try to show the world what makes Jesus' followers different is we don't do anything on a Sunday. I'm I'm sorry, Vance, you're not allowed to work anymore on Sundays. So if I have a medical emergency on a Sunday, you're not allowed to do anything. He's like, yes! You too, Jennifer. No more medical stuff on Sundays, okay? We can get that way. And what we can do is we try to make things and rituals and traditions what it means to separate, be separated from the following Jesus. And Jesus' words here in Mark, as it was to the Pharisees, may be scandalous to us this day. We read here that on a Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along and they picked some heads of grain and the Pharisees said, what you are doing is unlawful. Now, The reality is, is it was not unlawful. You were allowed to pick grain on a Sabbath day as a Jew if you were hungry. But what they're trying to say is, no, 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 I'm catching you in the act of not being good-looking enough. And Jesus tells this story Found in 1 Samuel, where David, when he and his companions were hungry, they were in need. He's running from Saul, who's the king. Interesting about that is David was already anointed king. He is the rightful king of the nation of Israel, but he's on the run. And he goes in, and he doesn't just pick heads of grain. He goes in, and he eats bread of the temple. And not just any bread of the temple. He picks the holy of the holiest bread of the temple that no one was ever to eat. And Jesus is picking a story here with intention. Anytime Jesus picks a story from the Old Testament, it is intentional. And he's going, look, uh, we want to talk about grains out in the field. What do you think about David here? What do you think 
about him who went into the holy place and got the bread of the holy place and ate it. And we know from 1 Samuel, nothing happened to David. He wasn't struck dead as he probably should have been. I mean, he's not a priest. And what Jesus is starting to proclaim right there in that moment, and he says that as much in verse 20, said, he said to them, the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is the king of the kingdom, and when you're the king of the kingdom, you get to do whatever you think you need to do. He is the rightful king. Now, what he doesn't say here, he doesn't say, don't participate in a Sabbath. The issue isn't the Sabbath. That may be the target, That may be the theme. But the issue, Jesus isn't saying, well, this is what you can or cannot do on the Sabbath. He is less concerned about what you can or cannot do on the Sabbath than who is the king of life? Who has authority to say what needs to be done? I believe we need to have a concept of rest in our world. I think we need to understand the discipline of Sabbath keeping and of fasting But we can never think that our Sabbath keeping, our fasting, our going to worship, our Bible study and reading, our being together with other Christians is what ought to be the hallmark of a Jesus follower because we will miss it. Because then it goes to, John, how many times have you read the Bible this week? Are you at seven yet? Okay, so it's just the first day of the week. Are you at one? Yeah, okay, all right. So you're good today. You're holy enough today, you know. Uh, you know, one of those things. Larry, have you prayed enough this week? You don't think so? No? Is that because I'm still preaching? Well, okay, see? You know, he may have been praying and it didn't work. Greg, have you loved your neighbor well enough today? Do you even know who your neighbor is today? Okay. All right, so Greg is going to love you guys well today, so make sure you send his request, your request because we're going to determine Greg's faith by how well he loves all of us today. See, we can easily get into that habit. Dan, did you sing today? I didn't necessarily hear you. I did not hear you, but did you? In part. In part, okay. Well, you've got to sing more often because that's how you know you're a Jesus follower. Okay? You see how we can do some of this? And the issue for Jesus wasn't the Sabbath. The issue with the Pharisees wasn't that they're Pharisees. The issue wasn't necessarily with who they are. The issue was, as we read in verse 5, Jesus looked at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Their hard hearts got in the way of seeing who Jesus is. And I know for myself, my heart sometimes unfortunately gets hard and I fail to see the Jesus as he would want. I'm very sympathetic to the Pharisees of Scripture. I get it. They were good-natured people. They were trying to love God and love the world around them. They're trying to do what is best to honor the Lord. And sometimes, sometimes, most of the time in the Gospels, it was that desire that got in the way of them actually seeing the Lord. Because he came to do something new. 
And we have this other thing where it's intentional that Jesus goes into the Sabbath, into the synagogue on a Sabbath day. And, and, and some of them there, Jesus knows this, and he does it anyways. Reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal the person on the Sabbath day. See, the part of, see this is how I know the Jews weren't Baptist, okay? You know Jews weren't Baptist, right? All right, because as Baptists, most of the time when we worship, how do we worship? You know, got to put your hands down, you know? Or you, you can maybe put one up, but if you put two up, you're Pentecostal, okay? We can be kind of like trees. We kind of go like this, you know, definitely no jazz hands. All right, Noah? All right, no happy fingers. All right? Here's the thing, though. In the Jewish day and age, when they would pray, they would pray with hands typically extended up and hands out. Now, if you have a shriveled hand and arm, you may only get like this. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. And there you go. We know we have someone who, who, who isn't quite right. We all know that someone else isn't quite right. Guess what? There's, there's some of us in here that aren't quite right. Why are you guys laughing? It's like your neighbor. Noah. Your dad just patted you on the head. Are you not right? Oh, you looked at him. Is he not right? He's not. Okay. We all know. And see, sometimes what we would like to do, a fellow pastor and I, we, we, we talked about this, is we, we would like that, um, you know, there would, we, we want to keep certain people who we know have sin in their life out, you know, because... Because they're sinful. They shouldn't be a part of church. You realize if we had a sin, a censor at any of these doors, how many people would be here this morning? I don't know. I wouldn't be here, okay? I'm just going to tell you that right now. Maybe you all would be there. You know, Sarah, maybe you would be right here. You'd still be, you and Barb would still be playing. And then we can throw Joyce back there. You know, she'll sing. Uh, you know, J- Jeff, maybe you'd be here too, but we won't ask Lita and vice versa. You know? Sometimes we want to do that. Or sometimes we sit, we sit in our pews and we go, oh, great, pastor, ah, ah, you're, you're really hitting somebody's sin. You know, as the joke among pastors go, and it's gone on uh, online, that sometimes church, pa- church people uh, will come up to the pastor and say, I want you to preach on this sin, on sin more. And, and the wise pastor uh, which uh, I'm not, I, I don't like conflict, so I probably would never do this. We'll go, okay, so which of your, which, which of your sins would you like me to preach on? And they go, no, 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 I want you to preach on this sin and that sin. And the question becomes, no, which of your sins do you want me to preach on? Because the reality is, is we all want a pastor who will preach on sin, just not ours. And every time we have a list of sins in Scripture, there are major sins we would say in there. And I believe the consequences of sin are not the same. But we also have things like gossip and slander and ungraciousness and dissension and fits of rage and gluttony. And let's not preach on gluttony because I don't want to. Because we've got donuts downstairs. 
But man, I want you to preach on this sin. And the reality is, is that's when we know we're probably getting a little hard-hearted when we want Jesus to do what we want in the way we want. And Jesus says, I have come to do a new work. And so Jesus asks them, and he asks us, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to give life or take life. What is the hallmark of a Jesus follower? What are the characteristics? Maybe there isn't just one. I would submit to you that if we can start to answer this question of Jesus, we will get to the answer of what that is. I would submit it's to do good. To do good. Well, what does that look like? I don't know. Where are you? What's in front of you? It is to give life. And I wonder if many times in our changing world, we as the church have forgotten the call to do good and give life. We're really good at knowing what we are against. We're not always as good at showing what we are for. Do I think that's our struggle as a church? Yes and no. We're getting better. I do think our community knows we're for the community. Which at least we try. You know? That now that's a change. You, you know, that's a change in the past five to nine years since I've been here, as we have tried to soften our hearts to what the Spirit is saying. And that's what got in the way of these. These Pharisees, at least these, not all Pharisees were that way, but they they forgot that the Sabbath was meant to give life, not to take life. Was meant for good, not to take away goodness. And what's interesting is is, um, all Jesus does here is say to the man, stretch out your hand. The reality is, is there's nothing Jesus does here that could be even close to be classified as work. He doesn't make mud. He doesn't touch the man. He speaks words. And that's why I think we need to see what the Pharisees were starting to get at was this wasn't just someone doing something on the Sabbath. Jesus was proclaiming by words and deeds that he was the king and he gets to decide what happens. That didn't fit in their idea of what the Messiah would be. And sometimes that doesn't fit into our idea of who Jesus is. A lot of times we think of Jesus meek and mild. He is that, but then he picks the fight here on a Sabbath day. Why? To prove who he is. Jesus is Lord above all else. Above traditions. Jesus is above traditions, right? 
right? Sometimes we can get that confused. Jesus is above the history, even good history, amen? Jesus is above my sin, amen? Jesus is above death, amen? And if Jesus is above those things, then we act like it. Then the question of how will the world know that we are his disciples? By how we live. Because we will show that Jesus is above all else. And yes, that means I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to come to church and I'm going to give and I'm going to fast, but it's not about those things. It's about proclaiming that Jesus is above all else. And you know what? That means I can be in places that may make me a little bit unclean because Jesus is above all else. It means I can love the unlovable. I can love the ones that don't like me and don't look like me and may not love me back. I can go do good, not because I hope they notice, but but Jesus says, do your good works in such a way that even your enemies praise the Lord that they don't even know. Have you ever thought, I mean, how interesting is that? One, it means we're going to have enemies. But two, if we can do good, knowing that we're proclaiming Jesus' word and deed, that they may even go, wow, look at who the Lord is without even knowing it. We can do this, church, but only when we're willing to have a soft enough heart to say, Lord, you can do whatever you see is right in my life and in my church. Well, we probably should take my out of all of that. You can do whatever you want in this life that you have given me. You can do whatever you want in this church that you have called me to be a part of. You can do whatever you want because all of it is about you. And so I can continue on. No wonder I think the early church, they read these words, they see what is going on, and they go, if that is the Jesus that has called me, if that's the one I'm following, I don't care what happens next, I can go on. Because he's above all. So I come back to this question. What separates Jesus' followers from others? I'm going to be honest. I'm going to probably stop using the word Christian as much and use Jesus' follower. I think the word Christian doesn't capture what we're called to do. If I'm following Jesus, I'm actively seeking and going after him. Okay? Okay? And I think it's easy to call someone a Christian that doesn't believe the things of Jesus, let alone act the ways of Jesus. But what makes it, if we follow Jesus, we will see what Jesus says that we are to do. My command is this, John 15. Love one another as I have loved you. This is my command. Love one another. In chapter 14, he talks about a new command I give you. Love one another. And then, now it's chapter 13. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one 
another. Is it better to give life or let someone suffer another day? Just so you can answer the question, what is life? Is it better to do good or to sit and wait? Jesus says, do not, be, do not just hear my words, but put them into practice. The writer, James, and I come to a close, says, do not merely be listeners of the word, but by doers of the word. And then he goes on to say, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and does not do it, they have sinned. Sin is not just not doing something bad. It is failing to love one another and do good in our lands. Will you pray with me? Father God, we ask that you would soften our hearts. Lord, it is easy to be a little hard-hearted at times. It's easy to see the sin in others and forget the sin in me. It is easy to, to, be, to be life takers instead of life givers. It's easy to be joy stealers instead of joy givers. But you have called us to a different way. In our ever-changing world, we need a different way. We need to truly see you as above all else. And so, Lord, search me and see what wicked way is in me so I can submit. And in so doing, I will find life, the life abundantly that you promise. You are the giver of life. And Lord, may we as a church do that. Man, we're a good church, Lord. You've, you have done good things here. You've done great things here. But let not our history get in the way of seeing you in the present. Let not our excitement of what you have done get in the way of what you are doing and the excitement and the joy and the celebration we can do because you are still doing a new work in us this day. May we, may we put ourselves on that firm rock of Jesus and may we do the work of the Lord and so we will know our foundation is firm until the end. Lord, we thank you for this day and may we be your people today and tomorrow and forever until we are made new in glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you will stand and and be reminded